Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and welcome to you today. This is lesson three of our short series entitled, Encouraging Words for the Remnant Believer. And I want us to look at some things today. The series, this particular series, the Lord laid on my heart by giving me four basic things that I began to pray on a regular basis for myself. And from that, I believe he developed this short series and some concepts that I needed to share with you. And so today I want to share as many of those four as we can get to in this one episode. I don't want it to be too long, so I do try to be conscious of the time. But we will begin at least with the first one, and then we'll continue in future episodes if we have to with these. But if you'll remember, this is to provide hope and encouragement for the remnant believer. Remnant makes us think, remnant makes us think of scraps of cloth, perhaps, that are just, you know, leftovers, so to speak, alone, unwanted, insignificant, perhaps, and yet a qualified seamstress and so forth can make beautiful quilts out of those remnants. So we talked about that in the first lesson. In the second lesson, we looked at an example from Scripture considering Joseph in Egypt. In the book of Genesis, we read all about his story, and we saw how he remained faithful and received blessing even though he was all alone. So I want us to get into this tonight that sort of sparked this whole series, sort of began this whole series. And so, as I mentioned, there were four key factors, perhaps, that we can call them four key principles. I call them the four F's, so to speak, that the Lord gave me to pray often. And in these last days, I believe these are very applicable to us. So the four F's that the Lord showed me was to be filled with Him, focused on Him, faithful to Him, and fruitful for Him. So I want to look at each one of these. And as I said, we'll do at least the first one in this lesson, Lord willing. The Lord was directing me to be filled with Him. I want to start out by reading in John chapter 4, and I want to read verses 1 through 14. John chapter 4. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, or noon, in the middle of the day. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, 
How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. In this passage, we see Jesus encountering this Samaritan woman. It's interesting because he said he needed to go through Samaria. He knew that there was a divine appointment in Samaria. Now, we need to understand some things about it. Samaria was an old city from the Old Testament. It was named Samaria in the days of Omri, the father of Ahab. Omri had named it that and was king at that time and made Samaria his capital of the northern kingdom. This was found in 1 Kings chapter 16. Prior to that, Jacob, the father of Joseph, who we just looked at in the last episode, who was one of the patriarchs, one of the fathers of our faith, he had purchased this plot of ground near this place and dug this well. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 32, it speaks of this. The bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel had brought up out of Egypt, they buried at Shechem in the plot of ground which Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for 100 pieces of silver, and which had become an inheritance of the children of Joseph. So Joseph was brought up, those bones from Joseph. If you'll remember in the story of Joseph, he had said, you're going to be delivered from Egypt, and you're going back to the land that God has promised our fathers. Take my bones with you. I'm not going to be able to live to see it, but I want you to take the bones with you and bury me in our land, in our home. And so they did, and Joseph was buried in this plot of ground. In Genesis chapter 33, we see Jacob reunited with Esau. And he had been dreading this. He had been fearful about it. And God had worked tremendously in this whole situation for both Jacob and Esau. And God blessed this encounter. Down in verse 18 is where we read, and it says, Then Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Padan Aram, and he pitched his tent before the city. And he bought the parcel of land where he had pitched his tent from the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected an altar there and called it El Elohi Israel. God, our God of Israel is what he was calling that altar. So we understand that he bought this piece of land 
in Genesis 50, verses 24 through 26, is where Joseph gives the makes the oath with the remaining children of Israel, and they commit to take his bones up. And in Exodus chapter 13, verse 19, when Moses is leading the people out, they take the bones of Joseph with them. So Jesus now comes to this spot where Jacob had dug a well there. And Jesus rests and waits at the well. And it is noontime. It's the sixth hour of the day. And so there's a woman of Samaria coming. Now, the scripture does not give us her name. Some believe from tradition and and other historical writings that her name is Fotina. But she is a woman of Samaria, unnamed in the scripture. She comes to the well alone in the heat of the day. Most women would come in the morning. So here we get the indication already that she is an outcast. Now, in reference to the Samaritans and the Jews, the Jews considered the Samaritans outcasts, period. There was a general understanding of that. So I love this because Jesus goes where no one else will go. He knew he needed to go to Samaria. And we find out later when we read in John chapter 4 and so forth that she actually got saved. She believed in Jesus and she brought many in the town to believe in Jesus. So we see that, that this was a divine appointment and that through that, many that were considered outcasts were reached by Jesus. Jesus is all for everyone, and he will go even for the outcasts. So he went to reach this woman who was considered an outcast. So in verse 10 of John 4, Jesus speaks of the well water, the living water. He speaks of this well. He said, Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water, true well water. Now, I don't know about you, but I've lived in the country and in my opinion, this is just personal, I love well water. There's nothing purer than well water to me, unless perhaps it's other forms of spring water. So well water, he's speaking of his well. He's speaking of the well of living water. And the woman asks him a question. Notice this. She says to him, Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Well, the answer to that, it's a rhetorical question the Bible doesn't speak of, but oh yes, Jesus is greater than her father Jacob, than the Jacob our forefathers. And so in verse 13, Jesus explains this living water. This is what he says. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. In other words, Jacob's well, you're going to keep coming every day. It's not going to be something that's going to be perpetually satisfying and refreshing to you. You will have to come again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. 
But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So he explains, first and foremost, he says that this living water will cause them to be so refreshed, they will never thirst again. There will never be an eager or ardent longing for something or someone else. There won't be a painfully feeling of want for something else. Never, not at all, all the way into the end of the age, all the way into perpetuity. This water that Jesus gives, this living water, will be so refreshing, it will satisfy all the way through our lifetime. It's superior, and therefore we will never again want the lesser. David wrote in Psalm 34, O taste and see that the Lord is good. He is good. The water that he gives is excellent water. It's fully refreshing water. I want to direct you to a passage in Ezekiel chapter 47. And in Ezekiel chapter 47, the Lord gives us more information about this water, this living water. It is prophetically speaking here of the millennial age, the messianic kingdom, when Jesus will come and rule in Jerusalem on the throne of David. But I want to pick up a couple of verses from this chapter. Let's read verses 7 through 10. When I returned there, Ezekiel is saying, when I returned there along the bank of the river were very many trees on one side and the other. Then he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region, goes down into the valley and enters the sea. He's talking about the Dead Sea when he's speaking of this particular sea. When it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. And it shall be that every living thing that moves wherever the river, rivers go will live. There will be a great multitude, a very great multitude of fish, because these waters go there, for they will be healed, and everything will live wherever the river goes. It shall be that fishermen will stand by it from Engedi to in England, for they will, they will be places for spreading their nets. Their fish will be of the same kinds as fish of the great sea, exceedingly many, speaking of the Mediterranean Sea. So this river brings life wherever it goes. Everything teems with life wherever this river goes. So it is the river of life. Life is brought by this living water everywhere and in everything. I want to point out something from this passage because right now you can, you can go to the Dead Sea if you want to and you can see it and nothing can live in it. No fish. There's no fishing there. Nothing. It's called the Dead Sea for a reason. It's full of salt. They use it for minerals and things like that, but nothing can live there. But in that day, the word of the Lord promises to Ezekiel that there will be fishermen all around that Dead Sea because there will be, it will be teeming with fish. 
there will be great multitudes of fish, just like if you stood on the shore of the Mediterranean and were fishing of the, the fish out of that great sea. And so this living water can go to the deadest places in our life and bring life. This living water can go to the deepest places in our life and bring life. Because the Dead Sea is the deepest, the lowest land spot on earth. The lowest place of land on earth is in the Dead Sea. And yet the river of life, when it goes there, it will cause everything to be teeming with life. There'll be no longer any dead sea. It will become a living sea at that point because of the living water. And so I encourage you with that. The Lord showed me that a long time ago. There may be a deep, dead place down inside of a person. And when they taste and when they are drinking of the living water, that living water inside of them becomes a living spring of water, a fountain of water. Jesus said that this water, if we drink of his living water, it becomes, he creates within us a fountain of water, a well, a source or supply spring of it that will not die. It will be ever springing up, gushing forth into everlasting life in us. I want to look at one other place in the Old Testament on this point, and it is found in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, because this is perhaps a warning to all of us that we make sure that we remember the true source of this living water. Because in Jeremiah, Jeremiah is having to speak words of pending judgment and a call to repentance. And God is not pleased. He's having to look to judge his people. And he declares here their faults. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, it says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, the source, the spring, the well that contains this living water. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. In other words, instead of keeping to drinking from and having that wonderful relationship with the fountain of living waters, the source and the supply for true living water. They tried to go and do it themselves. They tried to find it in some other source. You will never find what you're looking for in any other source. You can look worldwide and you will never find it because real refreshment, real living water, real life is only found in one place. And Jesus said it clearly. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the source. He said it to this woman in Samaria. I'm going to give you the right kind of water. I'm going to make it so that there's a well within you springing up of living water that will bring life everywhere it flows. Jesus gives this. Notice here, in the Word of God, 
in the whole of Scripture, we see this. The entire Trinity is represented here because God the Father said he is the fountain of living water. Jesus here in John 4 says, I'm giving the water that I will give, give to you. And then notice the Holy Spirit also is this living water. In John chapter 7, I want to read verses 37 through 39. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So the Holy Spirit, the wellspring, the fountain that Jesus creates in us, is the gift of the Holy Spirit when he gives it to us, and it becomes in us a fountain of living water. So he gives us an instruction in the scripture which leads me to this point. Be filled with him. Filled with him. Paul comes along later and writes these words. In Ephesians chapter 5, I want to begin reading in verse 17. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So here we see the key to this point. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17 through 21. It's the will of the Lord that we be filled with him. There are no ill effects like there are with drinking of alcoholic beverages, wine, and so forth. Now, how you feel about drinking of any alcohol, that's between you and God. But the Word of God clearly teaches that drunkenness is a sin. My personal opinion, safety, and your testimony also is another reason not to touch any of it. I personally have that view. That's not what I'm stressing here. But what Paul is stressing is do not be filled with wine. In other words, don't look to the bottle to satisfy. Don't be consumed with that. It's gonna it's gonna just have dissipation. It's gonna have ill effects, hangovers. It's gonna lead you in the wrong way. It's not going to satisfy. But he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. There won't be any ill effects with the Holy Spirit filling you like there would be with alcoholic beverages. Then notice, it will affect your speech. It will fill your heart because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks that Jesus has told us. It will lead you to be singing, reading the Psalms, singing the Psalms, 
The Psalms were the Jewish handbook, basically. He says you'll be speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. It will be filling you with praises and singing and exalting of the Lord. And it will fill you with thanksgiving for everything to the Lord in Jesus' name. It will grant you a submissive spirit, meaning that you will honor and respect every other believer in the body. And it will give you the fear of the Lord. You will have that respect and that honor in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, Solomon said, is the beginning of wisdom. We need to respect and honor and reverence the Lord first and then one another in the body because of our fear of the Lord. These are why we will never thirst again when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. So let's be filled with him. God is the fountain of living water. Don't forsake him. Jesus gives us this fountain, this well that becomes in us, this wellspring gushing forward and flowing out from us, from the Holy Spirit, because we're filled with the Holy Spirit, the true well and source of living water. Praise be to God. I believe we will stop right here for this particular episode, and we will pick up part two in the next lesson, in the next episode. So I pray that, Lord willing, you can join me again for future episodes of Encouraging Words for the Remnant Believer. Be encouraged today. Be filled with Jesus. Be focused on Him. Be faithful to Him and be fruitful for Him. I leave you with those four keys and we'll discuss the others in a coming episode. God bless you today. In Jesus' name, amen.